we're going to start from an outside-in approach. In other words, we're going to look at four groups of people in the Christmas story, and we're going to start from further away from the manger scene and get closer, which is why we're beginning in Matthew chapter 2. So read with me now, Matthew chapter 2, we'll read the first 12 verses, okay? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, wise men, says the New King James, the word is magi. It's a technical word. Sometimes you have heard uh, in songs like We Three Kings that these were kings themselves. They probably were not. There's no scriptural indication that they were kings. But they were related to kings because they were king makers or king honorers. As magi... They would show up at the birth and dedication of a new king and offer gifts of praise. And the word worship here is not necessarily the kind of worship of a deity that we think of, but they would worship in the sense of prostrating themselves before a king. The word worship in the text is to go to one's knees or to go to one's face. And they would present offerings to the new king. And here, these magi had come from the east. Um, I believe that these magi are directly related to the great work of Daniel in the Old Testament, who spent his entire life in Babylonian captivity in the east. And during the Babylonian captivity, was made chief of the magi, chief of this group of people in Babylon. And here we find these far eastern magi, these kingmakers, were in anticipation of a star that would rise when the king of the Jews was born at a specific time in a specific place. And we will discover they know the place. They know it is in Bethlehem that the king of the Jews would be born. They were, like many of the Jews themselves, in anticipation of this king's coming. Why would Far Eastern Magi be in anticipation of a Jewish king to be born in Bethlehem? Clearly, they had received some education on this subject, which is why I point to Daniel, who himself, throughout the prophetical words in Daniel chapter 9 and following, predicted with tremendous accuracy the coming of Messiah the Prince at a specific point in time, which led to the Jews' anticipation of this Messiah. And Daniel, as head of the Magi in Babylon, surely would have presented these same things to the people whom he was speaking to. And so I make the connection, whether or not you will, it's totally your discretion. But you can't get around the fact that kingmakers from the East were in anticipation of a king to be born, a king of the Jews, a king in Bethlehem. They see his star from afar, and they begin their journey, and they arrive then, and in verse 3 we read, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, for all Jerusalem to be troubled, we find that these 
three magi who had made this journey, or these magi who had made this journey, however many they were, were in a more spectacular ensemble than what we depict at the live nativity scene, okay? Uh, we do a depiction of these three, whoever many there were, figures at the live nativity scene. I happen to be one of them because I am clearly, of all of us, the most regal and, and magi-looking people. No, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, I do think I was the best one out there. Uh, I was out there with Josh Osborne and Zach Murphy. So I was, I was look, by comparison, I feel good about myself. But we were out there with cardboard camels or wooden camels cut out. Uh, and I, the stuff we were holding was not that fancy. As a matter of fact, the boys uh, hid candy inside the things that we were holding and I didn't get one of the jars with candy, and mine was 10 pounds, and they were holding these little plastic things with starbursts and Skittles. We did a poor depiction, um, but the truth is the church does not possess the wealth to do a proper depiction of what uh, the Magi would have come bringing. They would have come with tremendous gifts if we understand anything about the Magi and the role they played in the Middle East. So many gifts that it would have required an entourage of soldiers and accompaniment security because you would not have traveled by camel throughout the Middle East in possession of great wealth and power without it. So when they arrive in Jerusalem, it is not like three guys and their donkeys asking around, hey, have you guys heard of anything that's happened around here recently? It is a large procession, and the city is in upheaval at the procession, and they are primed for the arrival and for the explanation of what's going on because they have heard from shepherds, as we will discover, some rumor of something that had happened at this point in time. And it causes so much of a distraction, so much of an issue that Herod himself gets involved. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem is not a small place. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ, see when we say Jesus Christ, it's not a last name. Christ means Messiah, where the Christ, where the Messiah would be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. I don't think there is a moving star trekking through the sky, but there had been a star appear as the Messiah was born, and that signaled them to make the journey. And now as they move to Bethlehem, they see the appearance of a star, and they rejoice. It is clarity. It is confirmation. It is direction. 
And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Uh, These gifts are the sustenance of God as Joseph and Mary will flee with the baby to Egypt. But they come from Magi. And the Magi came to honor a king. And this connects back to the very first message that we gave in anticipation of Christmas from 2 Samuel chapter 7. When David sought to honor God by building him a house, and God told David through the prophet Nathan, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. And he tells David that of his throne and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that there will be a ruler come from his kingdom. A king come from his lineage. And this, this is what God says. And I will be his father and he shall be my son. So we see here in the coming of Magi. The gift of Jesus as a king. A king. But not just a king. You know, have you ever wondered why Jesus would want to be king here? Have you ever wondered about that? God is king of heaven and earth. Why would he have any interest in being king here among people? You know why God wants to be king here? Do you know why Jesus came as king? Because he loves you. And he, as a king, will bring the fulfillment of the promise that God made at creation. Where creation will be ordered peacefully and rightfully without the curse of death. Without the fear of death. Without the pain and suffering of sin. Without the torment of evil. Without the influence of Satan. And as king, he will see to that rulership. He will ordain that kingdom. He will bring about perfection in creation that was promised at the beginning. That was promised by the prophets. He will reign as king. Not just any king, but my king. My king. There are figures in world history who have managed to passionately compel armies and nations to a sort of maniacal loyalty to them. There are figures like that where you look back on it over the course of history and almost wonder how in the world they could possibly convince so many people to worship them. Two recent ones actually did have the people, as a, as a part of formal state religion, worship them. Adolf Hitler in Nazi Germany had a whole cult of worship devoted to him. And there were whole trials for heathens who did not believe and who would not worship. They had icons, religious icons around the Nazi doctrine with Hitler, the Fuhrer at the helm. Joseph Stalin in Russia, same thing. 
It was this sort of maniacal worship. But those are simply modern examples of ancient traditions. Alexander the Great commanded that all of his army bow down and worship him as God. Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar, same thing. When he declared himself emperor, declared himself the gift, the offspring of the gods, and demanded worship, there were temples built to worship Caesar. And in all these, we have fraudulent imitations of the true king of kings. We have human kings who could not fulfill their promises. Who did not exit prosperity that they promised. Who did not execute on the hope that they promised. And who left their people in destitution who left their people in suffering, whether in the short term or the long run, because their kingdoms all came to crushing ends. But not with Jesus. Jesus is my king. He's the leader I follow. And he wants to be my king, which is all the more humbling. He wants to be my leader. And in the Magi, we see the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7. Jesus is king. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 26. We start outside with the Magi. They are the furthest removed from the manger scene. They began their journey when they saw the star over Bethlehem. They arrived at, we find even in the text we just read, that Jesus was in a house. Mary and Joseph were in a house dwelling. They were not still in a manger scene in an inn when the Magi arrived. We move inward now and we'll look at the angels. Look at the angels. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. You remember the promise of Isaiah? But you, O Zebulun and Naphtali, those who dwell in the shadow of darkness, have seen a great light. You, Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, here, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? 
And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, Luke chapter 2, look at verse 8. 8 through 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. You bet they were. They had never seen anything like this. You have never seen anything like this. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Uh, sweeter words have never been uttered to scared shepherds, because when you see an angel appear in bright light, what you want to know is, is this good news or bad news? This was terrifying. I mean, these guys are just out there watching the sheep in the dark, and whoom! Be, don't be afraid. Good news, good news, of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, burial clothes, lying in a manger, which is not where you would lay a baby. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. It wasn't one angel. It was a ton of angels. And they were Christmas caroling. They were praising God and saying, In excelsis Deo. That's what that phrase means. Glory to God in the highest. That's Latin. In excelsis Deo. And on earth, peace and goodwill to men. So we see the angels. Now, I remember, this is probably bad that I admit this. Kids, just cover your ears. I remember a couple of the times when Allison told me that she was going to have a baby. A couple of them. I don't remember all five. Sorry, I should but I don't remember all five, only a couple of them. Probably because a couple of them were more shocking than the other ones were. Those tend to stick with you. But none of them were as shocking as this. Okay? And I've gotten some calls in the middle of the night. Hey, we're going to the hospital. I've never had the news delivered by angels before. Never, never, ever. Why do we have angels in the Christmas story, there is only one reason, and the reason is because this is not just a king that's born, this is God that is being born. Jesus is the gift of a king, 2 Samuel. And then from all of the Isaiah passages we read last week, this is Emmanuel, this is God with us, this is 
the child that would be born and his name would be called Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Emmanuel, God with us. All of those Isaiah readings, and some of you loved it, and some of you were like, I've heard all these before. Shame on you, right, for making me feel bad for reading Isaiah on Sunday mornings. That's all right, I can take it. All of those Isaiah passages promising more than a man, promising more than a king, promising God. And this is the amazing and crazy thing. Just as Jesus would want to be king because he loves you, he wants to be your king, he came to be your king, why would God want to be with us? <laughs> Sometimes I'm not even sure other people want to be around me. Why would God want to be around me? He is executing a promise of love and mercy and compassion that you and I do not deserve. We do not deserve God with us. There is nothing worthy of God about us. Are you kidding me? God with us, that's what Christmas is the gift of. And that's the only reason why angels are there. Because this is something divine happening. And just as Jesus is my king, so Jesus is my God. And I call him mighty God, as Isaiah promised. And we start with the Magi. And we move to the angels. Now a little closer in. What about these shepherds now? What about these guys? Look at verse 15 here in Luke chapter 2. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and caroling, and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What a interesting group of guys for the angels to have gathered together at the manger scene. Shepherds. You know, being a shepherd traditionally has not been a super high professional calling. Uh, some of us can relate to that. Look at our jobs and think, well, we are not the most respected of people in the world professionally. Certainly David was not respected by his brothers when he shows up on the... Bring them some gifts from dad as they square off with the Philistines. 
and his brothers, unhappy and maybe a little justifiably so, at their younger brothers, you know, egging them on. You remember what David showed up saying? You know, here they are, squared off across the battle line against the Philistines. He's bringing some gifts, the youngest brother, out to him. You remember what David shows up saying? Hey, why are you guys afraid of those Philistines? God's with us. Why don't we just go out there and beat these guys? You know, and they look at him, and of course, not too thrilled with baby brother and those words of encouragement. Any of you ever give words of encouragement that are not received as they were intended to be received? And what do they say to David? Hey, shouldn't you be back with those few sheep that you're keeping an eye on back home? You know, just put him in his place, you know. Hey, buddy, why don't you leave the fighting to us with the swords and the armor and the nonsense? Don't you belong at home watching the sheep uh, now, sheep are, you know, you have to keep an eye on them, but it's not like tending to lions, okay? Or, or it's, you know, it's not like, you know, that you basically watch them, make sure they don't go anywhere, make sure nothing comes and gets them, and do that over and over and over again. That's essentially it. That's, so this was not the highest calling in the world. Why? Would the angels show up to shepherds? Well, why do you think there were shepherds outside of Bethlehem in the region of Judea? I mean, did people just have a tremendous appetite for lamb? Why were there shepherds? Why was this such a huge thing around Jerusalem and the surrounding areas? Well, sheep and lambs turned it out to be pretty important if you're going to be offering daily sacrifices all the time. There got to be a lot of shepherds around Jerusalem and the surrounding areas for people to come and buy and present all of those lambs and sacrifices all the time. And constantly around Jerusalem, there were always flocks and herds and shepherds from the Bedouins and other people who would keep sheep to be offered, to be selected. It was such a big deal that when we went through uh, last year at Easter time, uh, what Jesus was doing in the temple and the run up to Easter, he's throwing out all the money changers. We made a big point to look at some historical estimations of how much money was involved with the buying and the selling of these offerings, these sacrifices. Now, the shepherds weren't getting rich off all that, but this was a huge part of the justification for their calling. Now, is it then a coincidence? that to announce this great king and this great God who is being born, that the angels would appear and gather the shepherds, it's not a coincidence. It is a fulfillment of what we read in Exodus, in the Passover story. It is the Lamb of God being given to us in a manger. It's not just a king. It's not just God. As crazy as it is to say those words. This is the Lamb of God. This is the sacrifice of God. And if the Lamb of God is going to be there, there should be shepherds. Jesus is not just a king. And He is not just my God. He is my Savior. 
His blood has been sprinkled on the cross. So that God can pass over my sin in judgment. He entered through that sheep gate. He spent his time among God's people. And he was slain. So that the death angel of God does not come upon my life eternally. God has looked upon him and put my stripes on his back, my wounds on his body, so that I am healed. And so the shepherds who watched all those little lambs, many of whom would be slaughtered as sacrifices in temple worship, the shepherds gather and they pay homage and tribute and worship to a king? Yes. To God? Yes. But more than that, to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus is king, Jesus is God, and Jesus is my Savior. And now we get Last one, a little closer. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. Let us read the first seven verses. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was. That while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. It's amazing how just seven verses can evoke so much thought and emotion. Here is a man who is trying to do the right thing. His wife is going to have a baby. He has been told by God not to put her away. He has never known her. He is accepting what he has heard from God by faith, and he is trying to be honorable. And to make matters worse, as this pregnancy is coming to a conclusion... He is ordered by the governing authority to travel to Bethlehem because that's the city of David, his house. But it is 70 miles away through mountainous terrain because he lives in Nazareth, far off in Nazareth, among the Gentile people of Galilee, Far from the temple and far from the religious system and far from the governing authorities. And here is an honorable man 
who himself from the house of David, for whatever that meant, it didn't mean any great wealth or inheritance for Joseph. And he's trying to do the right thing as he journeys with his very pregnant, betrothed wife to Bethlehem, 70 miles. 70 miles is a long way to drive. I cannot imagine getting through this journey on foot or with a donkey. I cannot imagine getting through this in a caravan with a wife who is very pregnant. And so they are going along, and they get there, and as she is arriving, she is going into labor. And they are trying to find a place to stay, let alone a place to deliver a baby. And nothing seems to be going right. And there is no place, it says the inn, this is not obviously a holiday inn, there is... This is a place where it would have been a lot of beds and an open room, and there's, there are no beds available. And whether it's sympathy, whether it's uh, capitalism, the innkeeper finds a spot in and among the animals. What else is he going to do? This lady's going to have a baby. And they go there, and on their own, by themselves, a baby's born. And they wrap the baby up in what's available. And they set the baby down in a feeding trough. And at some point, shepherds show up <laughs> for whatever reason. Can you imagine how tired they must have been? Can you imagine the stress of all that? I mean, it was stressful when our first child was born. And we were like in a hospital with people that knew what they were doing. <laughs> I'm thankful for those people who knew what they were doing because I didn't know what I was doing. That's for sure. Can you imagine this experience? This is the, the family aspect of Christmas that we should not lose sight of. God could have come into the world anyways. He could have just appeared. God could have incarnated himself in the flesh as Adam was incarnated in the flesh. You read Genesis, Adam wasn't born a little baby and then God slowly raised him and nurtured him. No, he was just a man. But that's not what, what God did in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He repeatedly uses the intimacy of family to describe as it were, beautiful adjectives, the gift of Jesus Christ to us. And we saw that when we looked at Abraham and Isaac as they went up that hill, didn't we? There was no reason for God to tell Abraham to go up on that hill with Isaac and offer a son. There was no reason, except that Isaac was Abraham's only son. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go and offer him. It's a sacrifice. Now there's a lot of talk at Christmas time about family, rightfully so. But I gotta be honest, there's a lot of poor execution at Christmas time. Christmas time 
is not about you and people who are biologically related to you. It's not. Now, people who are biologically related to you are a gift from God, whether you like the gift or not. It's a gift from God. The Bible says children are a blessing of the Lord. That's not something to be mocked or ridiculed. But Christmas is about the family of God. And for us to belong to the family of God, a member that sticks closer than a brother born into this world, a member of God's family, a friend that sticks closer than a brother had to be born. And when we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ, we're not just brought into God's kingdom as servants, but do you know what the Bible says? You do. It says that we become joint heirs with Christ. An heir is someone who stands to inherit something. Joint means we stand to inherit with Christ. I don't deserve to inherit anything that Jesus deserves to inherit. Are you kidding me? This is why it says, to all who believe to them, he gave the right to be called sons of God. I'm sure if, if we went around this room, we would not struggle to find people who struggle at, at Christmas time because of people who they have lost in their life that are not there anymore. And I know that that's a difficult thing to bring up. Um, I know that that's painful and that we sometimes just don't think about it. The gift of Jesus is a gift that offers security to everyone in the world that you love the most. And if you're going to have a, a Christmas tree, if you're going to open presents and give gifts because you love children, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, grandparents, nieces, nephews, if those gifts aren't given with the understanding that the whole point of this holiday is so that you don't have to say goodbye to these people eternally under the shadow of death, then you're missing the point. God gave His Son so that you could belong to His family. And listen to me. Death cannot touch the children of God. Death and separation is the curse of the children of men, the children of Adam. But death has no sting or victory over the family of God. So I'll celebrate Christmas this week, and I hope you celebrate Christmas too. And as you celebrate it, I want you to think about the blessing that it is to be honored and privileged that God wants you in His family. That he is calling you into his family. And not just you, but all who believe he is calling into his family. He is calling out of sin and out of darkness, which we often associate with behavior. When we say God is calling someone out of sin, we think of, well, that means God is calling them not to do bad things anymore. That's not what it is. 
He is calling them out of the shadow of death of sin and into the eternal promises made to his family. And folks, that is worth celebrating at Christmas time. That is worth being happy about. That is worth being hopeful about. That's worth singing about. Don't lose sight of it. Jesus is King. Jesus is God. Jesus is my Savior. And He is my friend. He is my brother. He has brought me into the family of God. How much more show should we love and support each other if we are in the family of God? How much more show should we stick together and live for something that matters in the family of God? How much more should we experience and participate in the unity of the family of God that God has done this? How much should we lovingly and willingly lay down our lives and our possessions for each other and in service to Jesus Christ because He has brought us into His family? This is all dust to dust, ashes to ashes, but God has promised us riches in eternity forever. He has called us to live a life for something that matters. And as much as I love basketball, it doesn't matter. And as much as I save for retirement, it doesn't matter. And as much as I find my heart pulled in a million different directions, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I belong to the family of God and you belong to the family of God. And like it or not, you got to put up with me forever in this family. How much more should we love each other and support each other and celebrate with each other this time of year especially? I'm telling you, it should be exciting. It should be purposeful. It should be deliberate and meaningful. And if it's not, maybe you're just going through the motions and you're not celebrating Christmas. You're just taking a holiday. Don't take a holiday. Don't take a holiday. Do that on Father's Day. Nobody cares about Father's Day anyway. Take a holiday on Father's Day, okay? But at Christmas, I got some head nods from dads who know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but at Christmas, take a holy day. Celebrate. Because this means something if you're a believer. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, if there is anyone here today who has not devoted themselves to you, who has not called upon you to be their king, their God, Christ is their savior. If there's anyone here today who is not a member of your family, Father, I pray that they will feel the deepest insecurity about their position. I pray that the pangs of a holiday let down when everything goes back to normal will settle upon their soul. Father, protect us from making a holy day just a time to get and give things and help your people to rejoice at the coming of your son Jesus. You have loved us. You have loved us beyond measure. Father, give us a spirit of worship and love, of sacrifice and devotion to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.